Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Genesis chapter 22. And we're going to look at the story that maybe some of you grew up hearing about. And I want to put it in the context of this whole series that we've been doing. And some of you know that we've been doing this four-part series called Stepping Out. And we had a very clear reason why we wanted to do this series at this time. If you remember, the first thing was that we want to try to prepare you for Missions Month next week. We're just really excited to have Pastor Wayne come and share his life's testimony. I'm telling you, it is going to be a powerful story, encouraging all of you and to hear his life of obedience to God and the things that he did, especially in Papua New Guinea. So I'm really excited to have him come as we host him. So we want to prepare you for Missions Month because some of you will have to step out in faith and fully trust in God. Another thing that we talked about was to really prioritize our spiritual walk with him, our spiritual growth. You know, you can go to church, you can go to life group week after week, but you have to prioritize for your own personal spiritual growth. That means getting into the Word, growing in greater faith, growing in love for Him. And we're praying that this series will ignite or at least be catalytic for you to keep on growing in your faith with God. And thirdly, we talked about just practicing our faith muscle. Like, you're not going to be growing spiritually unless you have acts of faith. I think us getting this place is an act of faith. Us pledging and fulfilling, that's an act of faith. And that's why there's excitement that's growing. That's why for many of us, it's helping us to really believe that God is going to do more in our lives. And that's what happens when you exercise your faith muscle. And so far, we covered part one, two, and three. We talked about in the first part, stepping out in the midst of adversity. We talked about Joshua and Caleb. And then the second part we talked about was the stepping out in the midst of scarcity as we talked about the widow of Zarephath and Elijah. And last week we talked about stepping out in the midst of insecurity and about the bleeding woman, how she took that step of faith and reached out to Jesus, his garment, and she was healed instantly. Today I want to talk about stepping out in the midst of uncertainty. When there are times, not only in circumstances around us, but even within our own hearts, decisions we have made, things that we feel like it's a commitment we made to God, but there's a fair amount of uncertainty. And I want to talk about that as we look into the story of Abraham and Isaac. So I want to just start off and ask this question. I'm wondering how many of us have ever made a decision on something only to realize at that moment that that might have been the wrong decision. I mean, it could be anything from something really small to something that's really big. For instance, for some of us, it might be something like, you made a decision to take this job over another job. And within that first week, you realize that maybe that was the wrong choice. You don't have to raise your hand, but I'm wondering how many of us have ever felt that. We make a decision, we fast, we pray, we feel like this, we get counsel from others, and we feel like this is the will of God. This is exactly what he wants me to do. And then you get there, and the first week you realize, I think I should have chosen the other job. Now, I hope that doesn't happen when you find somebody to marry, and then the first night, you're like, I think this is not the right person. That would not be good. These are major decisions in our lives that sometimes we tend to have questions and some level of uncertainty. It goes all the way to some of the small things, like what happened this past week. I don't know if some of you can relate with this, but 
you know, whenever you go through immigration or any of these things, when you travel, you're trying to pick the line that's the shortest and what? The fastest. So I, I feel pretty confident to have an eye for this. Just looking at, don't go with where there's a lot of children, you know, with families. Slow, right? Don't look at people that look like they're doing this. Slow. So I, I, I looked at the line and I said to myself, even though this might be like two people longer, I just felt like this is going to be a shorter line. So here I am waiting in line, and then what happens? This line doesn't move. <laughs> the line on the left and the line on the right, as you're queuing up, it's moving faster. So those of us who are brave, we decide, and very humble as well, you decide, I chose the wrong line. So what do you do? You end up going to the next line. And as soon as you get to that line, you realize... That line is moving faster now. <laughs> and that person all the way in the front, they don't have one of the documents. It's taking forever. And you sit there and you think to yourself, I humbled myself to go to this line. Now, should I go back to that other line? <laughs> now, I don't know where you are or how you make these decisions, but this goes through my mind every single time I travel. I rarely try to move two decisions, you know, I once and then I go back to the decision. I usually just stay there and just endure. But even small things like that, making a decision and then wondering if that was the right decision. I think all of us can relate to this. We all know what that feels like. And that's why I think for us, when we think through this, we have to realize that God oftentimes gives us a conviction about something. And that conviction will always get tested. And what he wants to see is that, is there proof or genuineness of our faith? Did we make that decision out of faith? Are we trusting in God? I know that some of us, oh, I've been having different times of conversation sometimes when I meet with you, and some of you are in that crossroad where there's a decision you made, or you're trying to make a decision. And you're trying to get this conviction so that you could be absolutely certain that it's from God, not from other external forces or you trying to please somebody. But as soon as you make that decision, it gets tested. And some of the things that I've been trying to share is this. It's a process where you grow in your relationship with God. There will be times when out of your emotion, you might say, yes, this is it. God's telling me to do this. And then you face the first trial and you realize that you weren't even ready for what's coming at you. So maybe God is trying to humble you to help you to realize you've got to keep on growing. There are other times when you're struggling through to make a decision, but by God's grace, you decide on something, and even though the difficult time comes, you can still hold on to His promises. And so I want to remind us that God purifies us in our convictions by challenging those convictions. He doesn't do it in a mean way, but He does it so that we can understand where we are so that we will learn how to depend on him and pray to him that much more. So let me give us the one thing. When you shop in haste, <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Go to taste. Anyway, um, here's the one thing. We must obey with devotion when we're challenged with our conviction. That we must obey with devotion when we're challenged with our conviction. I'm going to talk about two things here in the story that will help us to understand what Abraham had to go through to make this conviction, or decision that was birthed out of this conviction that he had on the promises of God. 
the first thing that I want to mention is that God prunes us. That God prunes us. Now, there might be some of us who might not really understand what that word means. And in agriculture, the pruning process is like this deliberate way of removing different parts of such as a tree, whether it's a limb, it could be a branch, whatever it is, to alter and to achieve a desired goal. So to make it more healthy, to make it more fruitful. So you're literally eliminating and stripping away things. In fact, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, it defines pruning in this way, to cut off branches from a tree, bush, or plant, especially so that it will grow better in the future. It also says to reduce something by removing things that are not necessary. So what God is trying to do in our lives is he's pruning us. He's trying to take away things that are unnecessary or even things that are not healthy or good for us so that we will be able to do everything that he desires for us to do. And so in this pruning process, you have to understand it is literally, it is like a purification process such as the metal of gold or silver, it refines it. So that is what God is trying to do in our lives. This is why Jesus even used this pruning process to describe the importance of fruitfulness. John chapter 15, verse 2, and also in verse 5, listen to what it says, and read the yellow section with me. It says what? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and say this, every branch that does not that does bear fruit, he prunes. Sorry, that's my fault there. That it may what? Bear more fruit. In verse 5, it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So Jesus understood this pruning process is so that we will bear more fruit. We will be more fruitful. And so as we look at this, we realize this is exactly what Abraham went through so that his conviction can be that much stronger. I want to go ahead and read this passage. I'm going to read it sections at a time so that we can understand and process as we go over this together. I'm going to read the first two verses. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 22, verses 1 and 2. It says this, After these things God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I should tell you. Now, it's very interesting because in verse 1, it says what? After these things. The question is, after what things? What happened? What's going on here? Earlier in Genesis chapter 21, we noticed that the birth of Isaac happened. Now, this is so important because Isaac was born and conceived through a promise that was made to Abraham and Sarah. In fact, they named him Isaac because they laughed. They thought it was ridiculous. How can us, being so old, have a child at this age? But God produced the miracle because of the promise that he gave to Abraham and Sarah. Not only that, but I want you to understand what's going on in chapter 21. So Isaac was born. Then we see Hagar and Ishmael. Now, those of you who don't know history, Hagar was the maidservant of Sarah. And so because Sarah was so desperate to have a child, she actually gave the maidservant to Abraham to have a baby. 
And that's where Ishmael was born. So in many ways, people said the people of Hagar and Ishmael, the lineage, is where we get a lot of the, the, the Muslim people, the, the Arabs. That's why whenever you talk to missionaries, they will always talk about cousins. Instead of saying, oh, these Muslims or these people, they will say our cousins. Because we want to reach out to those who have the same Old Testament history as us, but they just don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so we see here that after they were born, and then as they were being raised up, uh, Ishmael was, Isaac was born. And once Isaac was born, we see one of the things that Abraham does is that he sends them away, not in a very, like, we don't want you anymore, but because of the situation, he, he, said, he asked God to protect them, and then they went off. Now, with that in mind, I want you to notice that in Genesis chapter 21, verse 33 to 34, Abraham plants a tree, and he calls upon God as the everlasting God. And he lived in the Philistine country for many days. So this is just the background of when it says, after these things. So the promise of God happened, and then Ishmael and Hagar were sent off. And then now he lived in the Philistine country, and he called upon God as the everlasting God. So I'm just kind of setting you up for that first phrase of after these things. Now, this is what I want you to realize. The question is, how are things going for Abraham? It's going what? It's going well. And this is what I want to allude to, is that as things were going well, in verse 1, we are told that God tested Abraham. The thing that we have to note is that Abraham was tested after. Everyone say after. So it wasn't before, but he was tested after things were going well and after he received the promised son, Isaac. Of so many years of waiting for the descendant to be come into reality. Here's Isaac. Let me just pause here and just say, I think this is why it's so important for all of us in this room to understand about trials and testing in a biblical way. Sometimes it's when things are going well. It's not when things are going bad, the trials and testing. Sometimes it does, but usually when things are going well, usually when you're very comfortable, usually when you're just kind of in a lull, and maybe you're not as passionate, you're not as hungry, maybe things are not going the way, I mean, everything's just neutral. There seems to be the sense of God testing us or going through trials. Now, you could interpret that as God doesn't love me, which is not true. In fact, we talked about the pruning process. It's for us to be more fruitful. In fact, it means that He does love us. If He didn't love us, He wouldn't do anything with you. But because some of us are going through trials and testing, it should be an indication if you have a biblical perspective, God is doing something in my life. There's something that he wants me to experience. There's something that he wants me to know more about who he is. And that's why I want to take this moment. That's why I just breeze through the introduction. But I want to make sure that we understand this from a biblical way. I, I would love for our church to understand a biblical perspective of testing and trials. So let me give us three purposes, or excuse me, four purposes for tests. Why does God test us? Especially when it comes to conviction. 
The first reason is to authenticate our faith. Come on, everyone say that. To authenticate our faith. Let me just give you a verse to help us to understand. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 through 7. This is what the Word of God says, and you can read the yellow section with me. It says, In this you rejoice, though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that, that's the key, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes through, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So one of the things that we see is that we get tested to see the genuineness of our faith. It authenticates that this faith that we have that we said in that retreat or in our personal time with God, it is real. I think that's a good thing. How many people do you know that seems like they're doing so well, but then about 10 years later, they totally fall away? That's why I think sometimes these trials and difficulties are to help us to authenticate this faith that it's the work of God, not us, not by works, but the gift of God, the grace of God working in us. So it helps us to realize it's not about me. It's about God. Some of you are going through that right now, and he's trying to authenticate your faith. Some of you, you might have received Jesus in an emotional whirlwind. Is that real? Is that really from God? Or is that something that you just kind of experienced? So that's why I want to encourage you, testing and trials are not necessarily bad. It's to help you gain confidence that I really do believe in this thing, that I do believe Jesus Christ died for my sins and rose again from the dead. That's the first reason for testing as we see in Scripture. The second thing is not only authenticate our faith, but it's to achieve Christ-like character. Come on, say that with me. To achieve Christ-like character. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. Listen to what it says. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith, come on, say this, produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be, what? Perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That word perfect in the Greek, it simply means mature. There's a level of maturity, and things are complete that we become who Jesus wants us to be. So a second reason why we go through testing and trial is not only to authenticate our faith, but we see here to make us more like Jesus Christ, to achieve Christ-like character in us. And man, this is a lifelong process. You could be a Christian. I've been a Christian for almost over 35-some years. I'm telling you right now, you will continue to be purified and to become more like Christ. Some of you might be thinking, I'm doing well, but a situation comes up, you realize, oh, that's not really responding like Christ. So he's trying to work that in you because it brings glory and honor to him. The third reason, so two more quickly here, not only to authenticate our faith and, and to um, achieve Christ-like character, but the third thing is to address our pride, to address our pride. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10, let's read this section. You know this passage. It says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me to what? Keep me from becoming conceited. If you look at earlier, go, go back. It should have been highlighted there too. It says becoming conceited. And then it's becoming conceited. It's repeated twice. Let's look at the next verse. It says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Is that it? Okay, sorry. 
no, I, I, that's what I thought. All right. Doing good? All right, it's all right. It's okay. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For, come on, when I am weak, then I am strong. So what is this trial, this testing, the tormenting in our flesh? Well, it says here to address our pride. So for, for us to become, to prevent us from becoming conceited. Sometimes trials and testing is to humble us, to realize that everything comes from God. Everything is God. That's why when you start losing things, that's when you realize it's not mine. When things happen that are out of your control, you realize you're not in control. So some of you have gone through things, or you're going through things right now, or you will go through things. And that's why it's important that you remain humble. A lot of times it's easy to start off very humble, but as you gain more success, as you make more money, as you do well in different areas, some of you might get more famous or well-known, and guess what happens? We forget where we came from. We think we're great when we forget the gospel, where we were when Jesus found us, and where we would be if we did not have Jesus. So it's to keep us humble, to address our pride. And lastly, it's to allow God to be glorified, for God to be glorified. So to authenticate our faith and to achieve Christ-like character, to address our pride, and the third thing is to allow God to be glorified. You know the story about Job. Listen to what it says here in Job chapter 1, verse 8 through 12. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says, Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord. And this is important what Satan said. Yes, but Job has good reasons to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything that he does. Look how rich, rich he is. I want you to pause and think about that. What Satan is trying to say is, of course he's blameless. Of course he's righteous. Because you blessed him. He has all this stuff. You put a wall of protection around him. Look how rich he is. Everything is going so well. And listen to how God responds. But reach out and take away everything he has, this is Satan speaking, and he will surely curse you to your face. What Satan's trying to say is this, because he has everything, that's why he's the way he is. But take it all away and see how he responds. And God says, all right, come on, say this, you may test him. So God even uses someone else or even Satan to test us. The Lord says to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but what? Don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So go ahead and take away his possessions if you think that's the reason why he fears me and worships me. But do not hurt him physically. God is still in control, even in the midst of all the difficult things that he's going to face. You got to believe that. You got to trust in that. So sometimes God will test us and put us through trials and the only reason is so that he can be glorified. I want to pause here and have you think about this for a moment. If something were to happen to you, physically, mentally, emotionally, even within people that you care about, but God were to tell you, 
it's because I'm going to be glorified through this. How many of us would say yes? Because there are many times I don't think I could say yes. To actually go through things that Job went through, if you know his story, he lost everything. He lost his children. He lost all of his possession. His wife was even cursing him and telling him to die. Curse God and die. What's wrong with you? But he still trusted God. Think about that. And at the end, what happened? God restored everything and that much more. And who was glorified? God was. It wasn't because of what Job did or didn't do. In fact, verse chapter 42 tells us that he was like saying, God, where are you? What's going on? And then God says, let me question you. Were you there when I created everything in the heavens and the earth? It's like, oops, uh-oh, sorry, boo-boo. And then God says, I'm not done yet. There's more stuff. Were you there when I created this? Were you there when I, you know, allowed this to happen? And Joel finally realized, my mouth spoke of things too wonderful for me. I repent. If God is going to be glorified through what you went through or what you're going through or what you will go through, are you willing to say yes in obedience to God? So clearly from Scripture, we see that there is a purpose why we face trials and testing. God knows exactly what He's doing, and He is allowing the very thing that needs to happen in your life. That's why sometimes two your trials and someone else's trials are different because what you need and what that other person needs, it's completely different. He knows you. He has tailor-made you. He knit you together in your mother's womb. Therefore, the things that you're going through is what you need to help you to, to glorify God, to fully trust in Him, to become more like Jesus Christ. If it was something else, it wouldn't even hurt. You'll feel like a fly. I mean, I was just thinking, like, some of you, you know, Halloween is coming, so some of you are like, oh, well, let's check out this. You know, some of you are always scared of everything, even cats and different things. Like, ooh, you know. Some of us are like, what's up? So God knows us and what we need to get to where he wants us to be. And then in verse 2, we see that God clearly tells Abraham to offer his son as a burnt offering on the mountain that God will show him. So let me just quickly go through this, there's a couple problems with this command to take your son and to go to Moriah, and I'll tell you which mountain you're going to sacrifice him. There's a couple problems with this, at least from my perspective. The first thing is this. God is asking him to offer what is most precious to Abraham. It is offering up to God what is most precious to us. Notice how God uses an extra clarification. Just in case Abraham is so good at manipulating and justifying, which a lot of us are. Oh, really? I didn't know. So what does he do? He specifically tells Abraham which son. Because can you imagine? He goes, offer up your son. Ishmael, come, come back. Come, come over here. <laughs> you guys know what I'm trying to say here. So God says what? Take your son, your only son, Isaac, and then he has another, whom you love. So it's like, take your son, Ishmael, your only son. Oh, Isaac? Oh, whom I love. So there's absolutely no questions who he's talking about. 
I think it is always harder to have faith and trust in God when you have to surrender something that you've waited for so long and you have received from Him. That is one of the hardest things. To give up something, to surrender something that you've been praying about, waiting for, and it does not happen, it is one of the hardest things. This is just a confession because I've been traveling the last couple of weeks and it's been tiring, it's been hard, but I have two more weeks to go of this. And Before I came to Hong Kong, I was platinum member in a lot of the airlines. And those of you who have no clue what, you, what I'm talking about, it's called the golden curtain when they close the curtain when the flight is going on and there's happening, something happening up in the front. The back side is for the peasants, all right? The front side, hold on, let me finish my story. The front part are for people, you know, who are well-traveled, they have a lot of money, and you know, they just are famous people up there. So I remember when I was younger, I would be sitting uh, in, in the peasant section, and I'd be like, what is going on behind that window? But in the midst of all my international travels from the States to Asia and everywhere, I started racking up miles. So I was platinum member with Delta. No advertisement, they're not paying me to say this, but I, I was a platinum member, which means not only would I know that I could check in like three, four days earlier, I could even choose seats. Sometimes I will be bumped up into first class. I mean, there was a time when they were so lenient about this. Now they're very strict. They're pinching pennies. But now, like back then, it was just like you get first class upgrades. And then you would say, Mr. Seth Kim, and I'll come up and like, they'll give me a new ticket because I, you know, I got bumped up. So I was living the high life. I was kind of strolling in thinking, you know, I'm all that. And something about having something and now here I am in Hong Kong. And everything in Asia is one hour, two hour flight. So you don't get much mileage. So these past two weeks, it's been very frustrating for me. <laughs> Let me finish the story, okay? Some of you are like, ooh, what a bad pastor. Let me finish the story. It's been very frustrating for me. Because I have to now wait in this huge line, depending on which country. And this is how I tier the countries. Because if it's very urbanized, they will go by zones and sections. And even if you try to sneak in and go, oh, excuse me, they're like, nope. And then you're like, okay, sorry, sorry. Other countries, just people line up. And so you're like, wow. And then I would look over to the priority line. And then thoughts would go through my mind. I remember those times. I, I'm like in a state of a dream. It's like a dream. Ah, I remember those times. You could just go in early, sit down, chill, before all the crowd comes in. You could start working on things. And then I started feeling this weird feeling like, why, Lord, why? <laughs> and then God kind of used that to speak to me. If you've never experienced platinum level, you will never think like this. Are you with me? 
But once you've tasted it, and you know what happens in the golden, behind that golden curtain when they close it. You're looking at your food, and you're like, oh, this is horrible. But then you're like, ah, oh, they're probably eating sashimi and all this other stuff. And the reason why I'm sharing this is the Holy Spirit will speak to me as this message was coming through. Sometimes it is always easier to not do with something if you've never experienced it. But you know what the hardest thing is? It's once you know and once you experience it and you no longer have it, it is one of the hardest things. I'm just giving you a small little example. But some of you, there are things that you pray for. There are things that you have cherished and you believe that God has given it, and now it seems as if he's asking you to surrender that. Do you know how hard that is? That's exactly what Abraham was going through. That he was to offer some of the most precious thing, and it was what his son that was promised to him. Here's another thing I want you to realize. is obeying without any certainty. What God was asking as a test to test Abraham was how much would he obey my word? That's what God is trying to help Abraham understand. The challenge for Abraham was either he would still obey God and sacrifice Isaac without knowing fully what would happen to the promise that God gave him. And the thought that, I was, uh, that occurred to me was that Abraham was even willing to believe that God would keep his word by giving the descendants. And he didn't even know which mountain he was supposed to sacrifice Isaac. God says, just go and I'll tell you which mountain. In that level of uncertainty, we see that he obeys. I think this would have been the most painful pruning process for anybody. What trials and testing, what it does is that it exposes our hearts and helps us to understand what it is that we believe about God. Many of you have been brought up in the church. And yeah, you feel very secure and assured that you're a Christian, that you're going to go to heaven if you die. But for some of us, as soon as we face a trial or something that doesn't go our way, we completely live as if we're pagans or atheists, that God doesn't exist, that I'm going to live the way I want to live in a very self-centered and selfish way. Think about that. Have we forgotten what God is maybe trying to do in your life? This was the case for the Israelite people. Who are you going to cherish? The things that you have? Or are you going to cherish God more? That's why God warned the Israelite people. Looking in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, it says this, Remember how God the Lord your Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert for these 40 years to humble you and to what? Come on, say this. To test you in order to know what was in your heart. Can I ask you what is in your heart? Whether or not you will keep his commands. Listen to the New Living Translation. It says this. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to what? Prove your character and to what? Find out. It's not like God didn't know about our hearts. He does. But it's for us to find out where our heart is. If you will obey his commands. 
Let's continue on quickly here in verse 3 to 8. It says this, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw a place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took it in his hand and the fire and the knife so that they both or went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, my father, and he said, here I am, your son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both, they went both of them together. You will see in verse 3, Abraham responded with immediate obedience to God. He rose early in the morning. This is the part I'm always amazed, that God speaks, and the people, some of these people, examples in the Bible, they obey immediately. For some of us, it's, can I have three weeks to pray? I, I, I need about a month to pray about this. But he heard from the voice of the Lord, and it says immediately, the next morning, early in the morning, he rose and then he went. It is estimated that from where he was in the Philistine country in uh, Beersheba all the way to Mount Moriah, it was a three days journey. It was about 50 miles. So about like 70 some kilometers. And Abraham makes this powerful statement that I think sometimes it's easy to overlook in verse 5. He says to his servant, to his servants, stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship, and this is the important part, and what? Come again to you. In this pruning process, all that Abraham knew was that God made a promise to him and about his future. It was going to be centered around Isaac. He didn't know how it was going to come about because God told him to sacrifice him. What would you have done? I think many of us, myself included, we would have rationalized, we would have tried to figure things out. This cannot be. This is not from God. When in fact, that's the very thing that Abraham needed because this was the precious promised child. He waited, you know, years, decades for this child. He received it. And now God is saying, offer it. Because he wanted to test and prove what was in his heart. I don't know about the emotional and the mental tension that he felt, but if I put myself in this situation, I would feel it. It would have been hard. It would have been hard to reconcile how God can work in this situation. But here's the thing that I want you to pause and think about. Isn't this what faith is all about? If you have no tension whatsoever in anything in your life when you have to make a decision, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to prompt you to faith. If you get up in the morning and you make a decision, it's really easy. That's not faith. Faith always puts itself in a situation where you're going to have to feel that tension and make a decision. What are you going to do in the midst of what you're facing? Even when Isaac was asking his father about the sacrifice, Abraham answered, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. This shows, once again, Abraham's commitment to his faith and that God will remain faithful and true to his promise. 
I love what Hebrews says. It's a summary of the story of Abraham and Isaac. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 through 19. I'm going to from the New Living Translation. I want you to read the yellow section with me. It says, it was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, come on, who had received. So once again, he received something already. It was his. God's promises, and here, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. He was ready to sacrifice. He didn't withhold. He was ready to sacrifice. It says, come on, say this, even though, come on, everyone say, even though, even though. God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham, what? Reasoned here, or another translation, considered that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. So what, what, this is such a powerful thought that God was telling him to offer something that was precious to him and he was ready to do so. And he reasoned or he considered and so even in his logic, he realized it doesn't make sense. But the only way, knowing who God is, the way it makes sense is that even if my son dies, Something's going to happen, even if it's resurrection. Something's going to happen so that God will be faithful to his word. That through my descendants, all nations will be blessed. I, when I read that, I'm like, what a powerful, powerful illustration of a person in the midst of uncertainty stepped out in faith. When we have faith, we're able to obey God even though there are no clear explanations. We don't demand it. We just say, God, I'm going to trust in you. Genuine biblical faith always rests on God's promises. Can I just quickly finish off with number two, the point number two? It's much shorter. Listen to what happens after this whole situation that we read up to this point. So God not only prunes us, testing us, purifying us, so that what we can see what's really in our hearts. Do we really mean that? Do we really believe that? Do we really have faith? The second thing I want you to know in this story is this, that God provides for us. That God provides for us. Not only does he prune us, but he provides for us. I'm going to read the whole next section in verse 9 through 14. It says this, When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. I was just thinking, if I was Isaac, what are you doing? Dad, Dad, what are you doing? <laughs> You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes I like to read stories. I'm wondering what he's going through. Unless he's like a really submissive child. They're like, you know, burn me, Lord. Burn me, Dad. I mean, if I was Isaac, I'd be like, hold on. I love you, Dad, but not that much, you know. <laughs> then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Wow. So you know how the story is going. 
I, I, sometimes I have a weird imagination. I was just thinking, like, did he use like a rubber knife just to test God? God, you, you know? And I was also thinking, if you're going to sacrifice someone, you're going to have to kind of wind up a little bit, right? And I was thinking, what if the angel of the Lord did not speak fast enough? <laughs> you know, there's a certain point when you wind up and that you cannot stop your momentum. So the timing was perfect. But then I was also thinking, because I know it happens to me sometimes when I get so focused, I don't hear anything. So what if he was so focused on killing his son because God told him to, and he didn't hear the angel of the Lord? He's like, huh? What would you say? And, you know, it's like, angel of the Lord. So these are just weird thoughts. There's, there's no point to this. I'm just thinking weird right now. But verse 12, we clearly see that the command to sacrifice was what? A test. It was a test. For God says, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. The word fear has this meaning of reverence for God, which always leads to complete trust in him. When we fear God, we will withhold nothing, and God is then honored and worshiped. It is when we obey him unconditionally, with no ifs, no buts. God, I'll obey you, but if you, if you only do this, or but how about this? No buts or ifs. He just obeys. Also, it's interesting that in verse 14, Abraham called the place Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord will provide. You guys, many of you have heard that phrase, the name of God, which is Jehovah Jireh. The word provide is translated, and this is important, to see. So the place that he experiences, he now calls it Jehovah Jireh, which is the Lord provides. But the word provide, it means to see which simply means the Lord will see to it or the Lord will be seen. It's almost like God is going to show up and he's going to show out. Come on, you guys know what I'm saying? He is literally going to show up there and he's going to do it like VIP style and it says, I'm God. That's why when we say Jehovah Jireh is that he is the God who provides or he sees our need, he sees the situation and he shows up. We're going to see him. We're going to see how awesome he is. We're going to see how powerful he is. We're going to see how, he much, how much he loves us. He's going to show all of his character in whatever moment that we're going through, he's going to show up. That's why it's Jehovah Jireh. He shows up. We can see it. He will provide. In verse 15 through 19, listen to what it says here. I thought it was interesting because as we close with this, and the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. The thing that I want you to note here that's so important is once again, we see God confirming his covenant with Abraham. In obedience to God, Abraham's descendants will now be like the numerous as the stars and the sands in the seashore. What he's simply saying is this, the promise that I gave to you, Abraham, 
now that I see that you're willing to surrender everything to me in obedience, by faith, I'm going to make this promise come alive in your life. And you just see history, and that is still true even to today. There is something about obedience in faith that causes God's promises to come true in our lives. Because what we're saying is that it's all about Jesus. It's all about his promises. That's why for me, in the last, I don't know how many months or so, this whole journey about us going to this new place, the Crocodile Center, we're going to call it the Transformation Center, it really is a step of faith. And it's not only for me, but it's all of us. That we've journeyed, and we are journeying, and we are continue to journey. Some of you, as I shared earlier, you have found creative ways to be able to give and fulfill some of your pledges. Some of you have sacrificed a lot. I didn't mention this, but I found out that there's been some anonymous people who gave a lot. That's how we got there. Some of you are like, how did we get there? I only gave 500, you know? Exactly. Exactly. There are people who gave six-digit figures. That's why we're at a little over a million. That that means that people are willing to forego vacations, they're willing to forego certain things, because they believe in what God is doing and what God has promised to us as a church. This is the type of obedience and steps of faith that He desires in our lives. And I'm telling you right now, if anyone comes to know Jesus Christ through this new building, if there's any connections and people being healed of things in this building, if there are things and miracles that happen within this building, as that building that we're going to renovate, and the times of worship and the times of some of the LCGs, life groups that will meet there, if anything good happens in that building, it's because all because of Jesus Christ. Amen? We participate in it by faith and obedience. But it's God who's moving our hearts, and we give praise and glory to Him. Can I just pause here and say this? I, I'm not stupid. I, I would say I'm fully aware, even though we have right now uh, about, I think, 140-some people who have participated in this. That means that there's still a handful of you who have not. And I'm not going to guilt trip you, but I will say this for you to think about. The reason why, if you know human nature, when things are free, when things you make no sacrifice is just given to you, you don't appreciate it. But even when you give a little bit, there's a greater appreciation and a greater thankfulness. Let me put it this way. When we have our first Sunday celebration in that building, the people who gave and the people who are faithful to their giving are the ones who will be most thankful, and they will feel this greater sense of the presence of God in faith. Now, it doesn't mean you have to work your way to it. We're not about works, but it's about grace. But there's something that's true about human nature. That when you're able to, in obedience, to follow God, and you take sacrifice, and you make that sacrifice, whenever the fulfillment of God's promises happens in your life, you're more thankful. Because you realize you were obeying God. So I want to just encourage you, it's never too late. Just being able to give and participate, even if it's a small amount, to say, I'm a part of this. Because we want you to celebrate with us. We want you to have this thankful heart. We want you to believe and grow in that faith area of your life. I'm just excited for all that God's going to do because He is the God who sees. He provides. 
He's Jehovah Jireh. So not only does he prune us, but he provides for us, as we see here in the story of Abraham. So the one thing, as we mentioned before, is that we must obey with devotion when we're challenged with our conviction. You know, the beautiful thing about the story, it's, it's a glimpse of the gospel in the Old Testament. Because here's Abraham that did not withhold his son, but gave up his son and willing to sacrifice. And God the Father did not withhold his son, Jesus Christ, but he gave his son for us. But this time, he was actually killed on the cross so that our sins can be forgiven, that we may have new life. That's why the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 2 is a foreshadow of Jesus, the Son of God, who actually sacrificed himself so that we can have life. And all of God's promises are true in him. I don't know where you are in your relationship with God, but I do hope as we talk about obedience and faith, sometimes it's not really about you. When you obey God in faith and obedience to Him, it's really so that other people can be blessed. Don't ever forget that. Sometimes it has nothing to do with you, but it's for somebody else. So that's why the beautiful thing about sacrifice is that you don't receive the credit when you sacrifice. Where you see the fruits is when you see other people experiencing God from your sacrifice. So when you pray in your prayer closet when no one knows, you make that sacrifice, God uses that to change hearts. When you give when you don't have to give, but when you participate in the giving of God's work, other people get blessed. Time, when you could use all this time to enjoy a nice TV show or whatever it is, but you're willing to use that time to sacrifice for somebody else, someone else gets blessed. That's, that's just how the Christian life works. You don't do things just for yourself, but you do things so that others can be blessed. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us it is more what? Blessed to give than to receive. Do you know why? Here's the thing about God that I want you to understand is that when you give, God will bless you. You don't give to try to expect God bless me. That's why I'm going to do all this stuff. No. When you give in obedience to God, your time, treasure, talent, whatever it is, you lay your whole life down. And as it blesses other people, guess what? As you watch their faces, as you see them, you're like, man, I'm so happy. Just think about September, every September. You go into life group and you look at their face, you're like, oh Lord, why did I get placed here? You, you know how it works. You're like, I don't think this life group is going to work out. I cannot believe she's in my life group. Oh Lord, she was in my life group last year. She caused a lot of trouble. That guy, oh, he's so creepy sometimes. Oh, why is he in my life group? See, that's September. And you go through retreats, you go through different things, you go through a life testimony time that goes for seven hours from two to like nine or ten. You know, you, you, you know, you start hearing people's story, you're like, oh, oh. You pray together, you experience life together, and it's not a September experience now, it is an April. 
you share testimonies and you're like I'm so grateful for all that God has done that's what we call the April testimony right when life closes out you're like wow it's so sad we're gonna miss each other all that kind of stuff but I would always say remember the September testimony <laughs> what happened God changed us God worked through your sacrifices of prayer and giving and just showing up every single Tuesday, every single Wednesday, God worked. That's the power of God. That's the power of the gospel. And I pray that all of you experience that. Gain the conviction from God. Obey Him. Because you're going to face some challenges about that conviction, but obey. And God will honor that. Let me just give us quick things here to think about. First of all, gain perspective on your situation. Try not to be like, oh, God doesn't love me. Oh, he must try to punish me. That's a works mindset. Gain perspective. Maybe it's because he's trying to grow my character. Maybe he's trying to humble me because I haven't been fully trusting in God. I thought I was so, I'm thinking I'm so great because all these things that have happened. What would happen if you change your perspective? So gain perspective in the situation you're in. I'm not talking about a positive attitude all the time, but see it from the lens of God, the almighty God who knows all things and he loves you, he cares for you. He is working in your life even when you don't say. He neither sleeps nor slumbers. Even when you're sleeping, he doesn't sleep or slumber. He's watching over you. I look my eyes unto the hill. Where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord creator of the universe gain some perspective that comes through prayer that comes through talking with people that comes through reading of the word to remind yourself these are the promises of God this is what Satan tells me but this is your word Lord and this is what's true gain some perspective secondly is ground yourself in God's truth so read your word because you cannot navigate through all this circumstances unless there's an anchor Ground yourself in the truth. That's why keep on turning to Jesus through the word of God. And lastly, it gives praise and glory to Jesus. Whenever anything good happens, always remember to give praise and glory to Jesus because it's all about him. He is the one who sacrificed himself on the cross so that we can have all the promises of Christ in us. And for that, we are truly thankful and grateful to the one and only Savior who loves us and is committed to helping us becoming more like himself. This coming week, I pray that whatever you're going through, that you can have this kind of perspective, that you'll be grounded in the truth and the word of God, and that as you experience things, give him all the praise, give him all the glory. As we have about two, three more weeks, we want to be faithful. Now we can do more things now. There are things that we wanted to do, but we had to hold off. Now we could get some drinking water. Praise the Lord. But that means if we get to the 2.3, then we could put in drinking water so we don't have to try to... There's so many things that we can have or do and experience as we remain faithful. Let's be in obedience to Him, not only for this Ripple Out campaign, but in our lives. Man, this, this is my heart for you as your pastor. I really want all of you to experience all of God's best. Let's walk in this, His truth. Let's walk in His promise. 
let's surrender in obedience to God. Say, God, have your way. Do whatever you want to do. Can I ask us to stand as we close here? Let's stand together. I'm going to ask us to just bow our heads for a moment. Why don't you take a deep breath? Take a deep breath. Think of it as the presence of God. You're just breathing in the presence of God. And then just exhale, just whatever's inside of your heart, doubt, fear, whatever it may be, anxiety, just blow that out and just say, God, your presence is what I long for. Your presence is what I need. No matter what you're facing. I don't know, I just feel burdened to just pray for some of us because right now we're going through some testing and it's hard. Some of you came today on the brink of just wanting to give up. Maybe there's some circumstances in your life that are beyond your control and you have questions, you have doubts. I want to pray for you. We want to pray for you to be able to say God is for you, not against you. If God did not withhold His Son, as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, if God who did not withhold His Son, that He gave all things to us, why would He not give us everything that we need? That's why nothing will separate us from the love of God. Neither height nor depth, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future. In all things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Nothing will separate us from the love of God. Hold on to that promise. Live in obedience to Him. Trust in Him and believe that He's going to work. I don't know, I, I just I feel this tremendous burden to just pray for some of you. And if you would be so brave enough and courageous enough, if today as you are hearing the message, you just feel like God was just lasering in on your heart and whatever you're going through, you just realize, I need this kind of obedience. I need this kind of faith in the midst of uncertainty. If that's you, don't go through it alone. Please do not go through it alone. That's the beauty of having life groups. That's the beauty of being in a church where we value some of these things because we want to walk with you. Can I ask you to be brave this morning? If some of you are in the midst of some difficult trials, some testing, and it's hard, and you're just saying, I can't do this by myself. I need the grace of God. I need brothers and sisters who love me. Man, I, I just feel like the Holy Spirit's going to honor this time. I'm going to ask you to be bold and to be brave and to be vulnerable. And I'm going to ask you right now if you could just raise your hand at this moment. If the, any of you are in that situation, just at a crossroad, things are hard, just go ahead and slip up your hands. Is there anybody? Amen and amen. Just if you could just hold your hand just up there. I, I know I'm not trying to hear embarrass you. If you feel un uncomfortable, you don't have to do it. With your hands raised, I'm going to ask the rest of the body of Christ.
Come on, church. We all know what that feels like. We've been there, and we will be there in the future. If there's somebody with their hands up, just keep your hands off. If there's somebody near you, can you just turn towards them? And you can stretch your hands towards them. If you know them, you can just reach out and touch their shoulders. Just for one or two minutes, not too long. I just want you to pray for greater faith and help the promises of Jesus to be true in their lives. Can we just do that? So go ahead and keep your hands raised. If some of you are in that situation, I want you to just raise your hand. And the rest of us, let's go find somebody or stretch your hand towards somebody if you're too far back. Come on, let's just pray together one voice. Let them know that they're not alone. Come on, let's pray together, shall we? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.